from the heart of Dubai, where tomorrow is being built today to the world. Welcome to the CTO Show with Mehmet. Here, we redefine technology and reimagine possibilities. With Mehmet, delve into the riveting realms of AI, cybersecurity, and digital technology. Experience the thrilling highs and lows of startups. Immerse yourself in the spirit of entrepreneurship and witness the future of business innovation being written in real time. Now, without further ado, let's tune in and explore the future. Hello and welcome back to a new episode of the CTO Show with Mehmed. Today, I'm very pleased to have with me, Frankie, the CTO of Gemba. Frankie, the way I like to do it, I give it to the guests to introduce themselves because I believe they are the best ones to do that. So thank you very much for being on the show. The floor is yours. Excellent. Um, my name is Frankie Kavanagh. I'm the CTO of Gemba. Um, my background is in video games and generally in tech. Um, I'm also a university lecturer um, that specializes in um, coding to 3D art, all aspects, but predominantly design. That's cool. What brought you into this domain? Like, I'm, I can't imagine from what I'm seeing in, in the background that you love gaming, actually. But can you a little bit ask, like, what attracted you to be in this field? Yeah, um, my, my kind of passion originally was um, 3D art and um, 3D animation. That's where I started in the industry. And while I was at university, um, I entered a business competition um, and a business startup doing tech and back in the day and the idea was to um, create digital artworks online and have them displayed in real world galleries across the world yeah, um, so I kind of got the taste for running my own business and being your own boss and things like that um, and then I went into lecturing and for a long time I was a university lecturer um, started courses and looked for spaces in the world of education and trends so stuff like robotics um, video game design video game engineering and things like that that at the time were just up and coming um, and then moved into the industry more so I was working in video games started in triple A so kind of high-end midway um, Sony xdev places like that um, and then after years of teaching and working for other people I decided to run my own business and so before I worked at Gemba, um, we still run a video games company. Um, and we, the idea was how I became CTO at Gemba was I have a weird set of skills. I sound like I'm on Taken now. Um, <laughs> starting with kind of my video game background, so the fun bit, then the teaching, the pedagogy. So you have the ludology from video games, then pedagogy from kind of um, from the teaching aspect. And then that kind of passion for tech and um, watch new and things like that. So I, that, that's kind of how I, I didn't start as CTO. I started as designer and kind of worked my way up in the company. That's very cool. So now let's think, like dive a little bit into the VR world. So um, can you tell me how you're leveraging VR to transform um, traditional workforce training? And to be honest with you, I'm, I'm excited because I was in the corporate world and, you know, it was, not usually the funniest part of it. So, it. Uh, what? <laughs> so, what has been the immediate impacts on on engagement and retention uh, from what you have seen? So, I think the thing to understand, I think there's a 
um, there's the meme of people going through training, click, 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 you know, forced training. I think the misunderstanding, and I think even at Gemba when I first started, that there's a level of professionalism where see when you get the sea level, you stop wanting to have fun. But, you know, it's kind of you go home, you watch the CM programs, you, you're looking for that CM level of entertainment. As a lecturer, I always looked, I always knew that if I could engage with a student um, in whatever way, whether that be jumping around or playing a game or doing something like that, I could teach quite high-level concepts. So really it comes from that. It comes from being a human and wanting to, you know, people to enjoy. And I knew if I could capture them for a second, if I had them engaged, I could teach them anything. So the best way to, at the moment, the best way of doing that is with VR. There's lots of ways of doing it. Um, in real life, it's, 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 it's quite engaging, but there's nothing quite like being able to take someone to a different world or a, a different, um, or an enclosed environment where they get to think about problem solving or how to manage a task or do a war room. So the idea of VR allows us to, first of all, take you to completely different places where you need to be the best place for that level of training. And secondly, what it allows us to do is a completely safe environment. So if we were doing very dangerous health and safety training, for example, we can do it, still get the message across that it's very important, but move people away from that traditional PowerPoint um, training. And, and that's exactly what we're looking to do. Predominantly, the things that we're teaching, um, we teach a very wide range of um, things to a lot of different clients. Um, traditionally, we're a management training, so it's along the lines of Lean, Six Sigma, Agile. Um, those are the things. And being able to put somebody in an experience where you're in a, a stand-up meeting as a conflict or a conflict with a stakeholder, how are you going to deal with that situation? And being able to adapt it and change it so every time they get a different experience. Um, but yeah, so that, that's really what it is. It's the ultimate role player experience. That's cool. Really, like uh, you know, have you seen any you know in in, in real world like you gave some now, but uh, um, like what was for example an aha moment for a client that he tried and you know like uh, he said yeah like we were doing this and now because of, of, of Gemba like we, we reached this. So one of our bigger clients um, travels around the world and big automotive company. Um, and he has a small team of people and his job is to travel around the world and he gets there and he's got to be on top form. His ability to train hundreds of people at once from his home or from his office here, I think was the big push moment. Right. Traditionally, Gemba was a traditional training um, and then COVID hit. Um, and then people, and we, so we, I was working for the R&D department at the time created this demonstration, no real events were happening. So we, we did this and the aha moment was when people didn't want to go back to doing real world events anymore. And I think every client that we've had has preferred or 99, I'm sure there's somebody that didn't, um, but 99.9% .9 of people not only enjoyed it more, but also started seeing where we could take this next. So a lot of the stuff is, can we do this? Can we do this? Can we do this? And a lot of time is spent with Gemba making we have two systems flex and adapt that allow the systems to adapt to your wants and needs so I, th I think that was the big aha moment for a lot of our clients where as soon as they tried it and they were like 
we prefer it this way to the real world. Um, so that was a big kind of uh, and a big push moment, I think. Yeah, 100%. Now, we, because we, we, we touched base on this, you know, about transitions. So usually, you know, I've been in that world also myself. So when you bring something new to the game, Always yeah. people, you know, there will be some friction sometimes. And people will tell you, hey, like, there will be that, like, some learning curve because this VR is something new to us. So how, how do you address such, I would say, let's call them, like, not challenges, but like kind of pushbacks. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what we do is, it's, again, we pride ourselves on teaching and being the best at teaching. So the idea is most of the things or a lot of the things we get taught, especially the things that are forced upon us, we don't necessarily want to you know, change. People have a problem with change. Um, a lot of the things I teach, Industry 4.0, and what's that going to do to your job and things like that. So we took the first part of what we're pushed for is is very, we, we do a lot of handholding and we support the people that are doing that. And the, normally it's a trickle-down effect. So we get those people at the top. We've got multiple levels of support, whether that's turning the headset on, we've got a team for that. Whether it's understanding what VR is and how it works with your environment, we've got a team for that. Understanding how we can adapt your training from a PowerPoint to a VR environment and what the changes, because we don't just want to replicate what's going on in the real world. We support these people all the way through. And I think that's the point. And it gets to, it's a bit like pushing a snowball. It gets to a point and then I can step back and the snowball starts rolling by itself. And then that all it's like a, it's it spreads across the business. And I think that's once you get to the and getting to the right key people, that's the core part. And once you can get that message across, and normally in my discovery, I'll ask for the people who don't want VR in that discovery. And I've done this for a long time to understand. So once I get those people on side everything else is fine because it's not it's great filling a room up with people who love vr and want change but the people i want in that meeting are the person who's like what's the point of this i don't see this is really expensive we we can just use our old powerpoint or we can use our tv to do this once i get them on side then everything else but to be honest uh, from my side of things there hasn't been a lot of pushback and um, we do a lot of kind of um again i would say Point one percent, one percent of pushback, and you know, and these our demographic are not always the, you know the, the young tech guys. We've got people that have been working in the industry for a long time. But the important thing to understand is the people who work in this industry, or they're pushing for change all the time. They, their job is to how do we cut, you know, as, how do we move the needle? That's the important right. bit. Now, if VR moves the needle. Whether they want it or not, they know they've got to do it. So it's normally embraced very quickly as soon as they see the the kind of possibilities of it. Yeah, I love that, Frank, because you you know, like it's exactly the I would call it the consultative approach, and you know, like telling the customers that seeing is believing. You know, I've, I've, I've done this for more than ten years, so I know exactly where you're coming from. Now, you know, back to your background as um, you know, game designer. So, what aspect of game design principles? like you found are most applicable in creating effective yeah. training modules? So there's two, so, so there, there's a word that's banded around a lot, gamification, and we talk about that quite a lot. However, it's there's normally a misunderstanding. People think we do a lot of gamification. We do gamification. There's three aspects of the of kind of video games in teaching and learning. 
first one's gamification. I'll briefly go on. I'm, I'm fully aware that you audience will understand it, but the gamification is really about the scoring mechanism and rewards and achievements. Now that's great. And but so we, we have gamification. Some of these terms I might have made up. Gamification I didn't, but gamifying learning is about the fun aspects. It's the ludology. It's the ability to not feed you the answer. So for example, if we were looking at eight wastes in an environment from a lean perspective, traditionally I would just tell you what those eight wastes are and expect you to do that. In, for example, we'll create an automotive environment and you'll go out running around with your team on a timer, looking for those eight wastes and you've got to bring them back and put them on the board. And it's that sense and it becomes uh, experience. What you get from VR video games, even more so than video games, is it becomes a real event that's happened. No one's, well, very few people will stand at the water cooler and go, never guess the training I've just been in. Um, but if they're just like, I was on the space station, it exploded, and I had to put um, eight steps in place from a, a lean perspective to get the, the spaceship back and then repair it and things like that. It becomes experience, and that's what you get from VR. When people talk about VR video games, they talk about it as if it actually happened to them because you're standing, what you're seeing, the sensors are enclosed. So, so you've got that side of it. And then you've got the third one, which is a little bit more nuanced, is stretch and support. Now, in video games such as Left 4 Dead, which is a zombie game, um, you're running around shooting zombies. Now, what the game does very cleverly is if you're not very good at it, it reduces the zombies down and gives you more health. If you're great at it, it starts throwing more zombies at you. Now, that principle, when it comes to teaching and learning, as a lecturer or a teacher, what you want to do is differentiate between every student in that class. Someone's going to be great, but when you've got 100 people in the room, it's really difficult to differentiate your learning for each one of them. Now, in VR, what we're able to do is understand what areas you're weak in or what areas you're strong in, and it's called stretch and support EI system. So I use a very simple EI kind of system, and what it does is it understands what you saw if we were doing times table, for example. It understands that 7 times 7 is your weak area. So it will support you and give you what questions around it and that area. And then it'll push you for the ones you know very much. This, the areas you're very good at, it'll push you to stretch you in that direction. So stretch and support AI. So it's been done in video games. And, and again, it is an ideal teacher. That's what you're aiming to produce. So those three aspects of so gamification, gamifying learning, which is just making it fun and you know the environments, the sounds, the experience and stretch and support. Um, I don't actually, so it, it would be kind of dif changing the balance of the game. It's the balance in the game out for a different level of player. Yeah, it's pretty much very clear, Frankie. And I think, you know, maybe because you, you, you've you been a lecturer as well, this has helped you also in, in, in getting this, especially when you gave the example of the timetable. So maybe this has affected also the way, um, you know, you, you came up with, with the, the whole concept. Kind of. It's uh, unfortunately the, the the concept's not quite mine, but it's it's but it's a accumulation of, of people. But the the actual doing a PGCE or a teaching qualification teaches you certain things, and the disappointing part is you can't always achieve those. And I think that's the and it, it, it is it's a weird trifecta of the tech that I'm interested in being a teacher and the games give me a, a weird kind of trifecta of. Um, of information that helps and it's just kind of but understanding that 
that that level of kind of when you get to a certain point where you're trying to understand very high level concepts mm -hmm. and it moves on directly from that from the teaching to actually doing it as a tool so what we do at Gember is you've got that teacher um, teaching aspect and then we see now you know how to use it you can actually use it and what we're seeing more and more every day is people using Gember as a tool as well as the teaching um, so they're working in there they've got people from across the world that want to collaborate on a certain machine or a, on a problem and they're coming together to do that in the environment. So the teaching and the tools are now kind of integrating as one. That's really great. And I think, you know, we, we touched base a little bit on the barriers, but I'm more interested in how do you see this technology being applied more in, in the work, uh, workplace, like beyond beyond just you know the traditional onboarding maybe and yeah. these things so, so for, where, where, what we can expect in the future so i think what what you'll actually see is and what we're actually working on with a lot of our clients at the moment is um the not just the onboarding but what happens in a lot of um production um factories is they have to change the production line a lot and that means high speed changing of in, information or being able to see inside of machinery and things like that. Or if it's super, super complicated, they want heads-up displays. Now, with Apple Vision and things like that, the, the versions that we're running at the moment allow not the VR world or mixed reality or spatial computing, whichever the term XR, there's plenty of them. But what that means is it, it's expected for it to become a day-to-day. Meta's kind of plan is for you to carry your headset into work with you like you do your laptop. And I think that's, and I think Apple are very much moving along those lines, possibly not, but a lot of their talk was about the workforce and a lot of the stuff we do now, when I'm not in a video call, I've got a headset on that with, that's got pass through on it. Now that allows me to kind of talk to my colleagues, work, have a heads up display here and see what's going on. And so I genuinely think as the headsets get smaller, lighter, more comfortable, um, that ability to kind of them to become like our watch or our phone or a, a pair of glasses is the next logical step for that. And they'll just, it'll seamlessly integrate into our lives. It's a very futuristic approach because, you know, like I'm, I'm imagining maybe like I would be doing podcasts using AVR technology also as well, where it will, I will be like, instead of being in this setup, so we'll be like sitting in, in a proper studio maybe. Well, I can tell you, I can tell you like, I can tell you as a fact, I got interviewed by a giant donut in VR quite recently. So, it was a, so it's not that unusual. It's kind of so you, like podcasting's being done in VR at the moment. I think that the, the things that that kind of moving again, I think the it might seem very futuristic, but we're not that far away from it. It's kind of you know, I mean, we've got like I walk around, I work in a big tech building, and the amount of people that are working in VRs and don't have any monitors in front of them. At least 20 of our staff don't use monitors anymore because it's space and they can move around and the ability to sit at a desk and they take their wireless keyboard and they type and they've got 10 screens in front of them, um, high resolution screens that they're more than capable of working on. Um, so I don't think with that, it might seem, and I think that's maybe one of the, the issues. People think it's this super far away it's it's very much in grasp, but and the more people embrace it, the more it becomes today rather than tomorrow. So, Frank, just out of curiosity, it came to my mind now. Do you think like if 
it becomes, and I'm sure it be, it gonna come more uh, widely adopted, and even by home users, I would say, not only in business. Do you yes. think we we gonna at some stage get rid of these huge screens and monitors yeah. that we use today? Yeah. So it's already so. If you look at the Apple Vision, um, strangely, I have a pair of um, of glasses, and the depress. I have a at home. I have a man cave with a big 120 inch TV inside of it. And I have a pair of ER glasses, which are just like Wayfair, you know, like um, glasses, just normal sunglasses. And the screen perfectly matches the TV in front of me. And I'm like, that was quite an expensive TV that I maybe didn't. <laughs> but then that's, and it also has advantages. So yes, it's a one hood. That'll probably be the first thing that happens is because they're cheaper produced than when you've got VR headsets, it's all singing, all dancing. That's one thing. A lot of the ER headsets at the moment are replicating screens. So at the moment, when I'm on an aeroplane or when I'm not near a big screen and I need multiple screens, I literally just plug the glasses into my computer and I work like that. Or if I'm on a plane, I can work. And or even if I'm watching a movie, it's a you know 120, 130-inch screen in front of you um, and reasonably inexpensive. Well, you know, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to to have it, you know, like buying as a phone or <laughs> uh, or a laptop. Um, uh, like just um, also a couple of things, like we we maybe talked about. What do you see the challenges in in the adoption in in the mass adoption? <laughs> I think yeah, the the mass adoption are first of all, it's one of those things. Once you've tried it, it's fine. Um, that's getting it in people's hands. I think the bigger thing is to um, be able to, um, it needs to be smaller, lighter, more comfortable. That's the bigger, that's the biggest thing. And really the only thing, um, price, price points going to come down, but yeah. Yeah. Hopefully the price, it's one of the things that I wish it goes down as soon as possible. Right. <laughs> so, um, uh, like one one thing also like uh, out of curiosity I ask and this is usually it's not like to to make up the question or something but yeah. I believe like technologies merge somehow with each other so yeah. what 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 are you expecting to be the next thing that we are gonna mix with and I'm not asking you to tell me AI specifically but because some yeah. of my guests told me AI but when are you see you know an intersection. Uh, coming very soon to with other technologies. Maybe AI, maybe something else. I think, as I say, there's a lot of technology that's, that's kind of coming together at the moment. If you look at some of the games engines, for example, so huge steps have been made in kind of CG um, steps where, for example, lot of, up until still, still now, we worry about polygons and things like that. Um, how many? If you look at what... Um, Unreal are doing with their games engine where it's almost unlimited polys now and very super realistic stuff. Having that tech in a headset means almost super realistic visuals. <laughs> EI is um, a huge part of this and it's one of the more scary, fast-moving worlds, something that we've got to embrace change. It's It's kind of I worry about anybody investing heavenly in EI at the moment because whatever it is now, I watch because I use a lot of software. I All of our company embrace um, EI as much as possible. Just as you get used to one thing, the next week, 
there's huge weirds and mm. changes. And in the industry, in the tech industry as a whole, um, especially video games, things are changing very quickly. So, you know, from image generation, which is probably doing some damage to concept artists out there, VO voiceovers. Um, from now, I saw there's some nice new 3D creation, you know, create 3D objects, um, mm -hmm. or rigs things. It's, um, and obviously the coding side of it is, is getting, you know, even the design side of it, you know, running my stuff through, uh, an AI system to, to be able to adapt to a client's needs. So we have our own AI solution. Um, and so yeah, AI is the obvious answer, but I definitely think, um, from a kind of computer graphics the, um, thing, those two, obviously the AI outweighs that a lot, but having not worrying about the performance issues, I think once they figure out how to get that under a, a smaller headset, at the moment you need a big hefty graphics card to make that run. Um, not big hefty graphics, like it's PS5, you know, Sony PS5. Um, mm -hmm. Once that's on the headset, at, at headset level, then you get unlimited graphics pretty much or pretty close to unlimited polys and light, real-time lighting and things like that. So those two things, but I think AI is um, is definitely the the most important um, thing to worry about. It's, um, but, uh, but also embrace, I think, is the important part. Yeah, that's great. So, um, like, as we're coming a little bit to, to, to an end, uh, Frankie, so... I'm interested, and this is always I repeat it, you know, with every guest I have, yeah. about some lessons learned. So what have been the most significant challenges and triumphs like that as a CTO of Gamba? And how yeah. have they shaped your leadership approach? I have changed quite a lot. I mean, it's going from somebody that I think the... Yeah, there's, there's, a, I think the, the things I'm, and I'm still learning now. There's no, you know, it's, this is not something like a lot of, some of these things are very new to me. Um, somebody said quite recently, me is two things. One of the, and it's an old adage, but it's, it's, it's kind of, it's, I think people, especially people in my business, um, in tech and things like that, forget people, if we worked in hardware, people want to know, People sell you the drill bit, the nine millimeter drill bit. They'll tell you how fast it drills and how, you know, how sharp it is, how long it's going to last. The client only cares about the nine milli hole. And that's quite the important thing. So try to focus on the hole rather than the drill bit, but understand that they go hand in hand. And I think when I'm talking to clients and I try not to get wrapped up, even in the tech, it's in my job title, but it's, um, but really what I care about is thinking about the human aspect of that. How is this going to impact you? What does it feel mm -hmm. like? You know what I mean? And um, like a lot of the things that have kind of touched me and changed me over the years is people understanding or panicking about industry 4.0 or, you know, the new, whatever the metaverse is called to the web three, but you know what I mean? But being, I treat everybody as kind of in the same kind of way, but the general idea that we're looking for is, or the things that have changed me has been the people. I wasn't a particularly good manager and over time is understanding how people feel, how people react, um, and being slightly chameleonic with who I'm speaking to and when I'm speaking to them was how I 
reacted a long time ago. Now you just get Frankie all the time, I'm afraid. It's just whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, I think that's that's the one thing I've learned, not to pretend to be anything you're not. If you don't know, it's not a bad thing to go, I don't know. But I, I know this and I can do this instead. So yeah, that would be be yourself. It's, um, it's, a, it's always a good um, thing. Great. Now, you know, also maybe a lot of, usually I try to target uh, younger people than, than me, I would say, and uh, fellow uh, entrepreneurs and, you know, fellow people who are interested in tech. So yeah. what do you advise these, you know, professional students, fellow entrepreneurs who want to pursue a career maybe or a, you know, they want to choose the path uh, of the AR, VR and metaverse. So what are some of the advice that you can share with them? I think just generally. So I, you know, I ran a business for a long time. I still continue to run a business as well as alongside Gemba. Um, Stabilize. Stabilization is hugely important, okay, because you can't, in order to do the things that we do, especially with new tech, you need to be able to take risks. Okay? Now, if you're taking risks, you don't want to be in a position where your family's at jeopardy, your house is on the airline. So what I genuinely stabilize your business as fast as you can. If you want to do it as a, if you're running a business, if you're an entrepreneur, Keep that full-time job, do you know what I mean, and work it up. Or maybe go part-time, get a credit card. That's what I did. Got a credit. I borrowed a credit card. Um, <laughs> my partner's a, an accountant, so it's a little easier. Um, borrowed the credit card, and I went part-time, and that was my stable. And then I could take the risks here. And I think, you know, because what happens if you don't take the risks is you become steel, and you need to be able to take those risks. You need to be able to stand up in front of a client and go, no, I don't want to do that. We, 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 we're not going to take that risk or we're not going to be threat like that. Um, so I genuinely think, and, and it's just the next level of stabilization. That's the point. And I think that any advice I would give is you don't have to risk everything. It means working a little bit harder. Maybe it's a few later hours. Maybe you don't go on holiday that year. Um, but stabilizing where you sit in life and then go, now I can take these risks. I can take risks 50% of the time. Now I can take risks 60% of the time. That's what I'd advise is to kind of stabilize, even if you're working as a, a barista, you know what I mean? So you know you can cover the rent. You're not going to worry about that, you know what I mean? And then it's kind of, then you can take these bigger risks and make the bigger changes. And that's what being, uh, running a business or running in tech or VR, ER, AI, because things change too fast to, to bet the, the house on um, so yeah that that would be my advice that's spot on frankie like you touched base on something that i always repeat like we, we always hear this advice about acting fast and taking you know take actions but now like no time before um yeah. and this is you know like one person advised me the other day like he said why you're doing this podcast daily and yeah. i said you know what because I'm afraid now I have some backlog. Let's say it's like maybe five, six episodes. So yeah, yeah. when someone mentions something today, after five weeks, I'm not sure if it's that really important. So it's true. It's true. It's true. yeah, so things are changing very fast, and I would second your um, your advice on this about acting fast. Lessons learned. You know, I always mention this. Like I always kept pushing, pushing, pushing things, and then at some stage, I said, okay, it's good that I figured it out. But as yeah. Frankie said. Act today, of course, take calculated risks, I would say, 
Um, but yeah, you 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 need you need to do it. Um, Frankie, is there anything like you wish that I asked you? This is how you should I end my my interview. How anything I wish you'd asked me? Um, no, it was all good. You know, I mean, I, I have a tendency in all interviews, I try and deliberately upset people by asking them a question they wouldn't expect. So I, I sometimes ask, what are you watching on Netflix at the moment? And I see my, because what happens is people have got a preset thing of what they're going to answer and how they're going to answer them. So I like keeping people off their, getting people off their kilter um, and making sure they're a little bit uncomfortable um, in the nicest way possible. Um, but yes, so maybe something that would have, uh, something I didn't, couldn't answer, that would be an interesting Watch me panic. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't like to do it, Frankie. Honestly, <laughs> because by the way, when I ask this question, some of the guys they saw that I'm putting them in a like, of course, in the joking uh, way. Like they yeah. said, oh, like are you trying to, you know, get us embarrassed? Or I said no, like uh, because maybe sometime maybe I missed any point, you know that. Uh, and maybe you have something that you wish really to, to, to say and maybe I didn't ask or there was no way to, to convey this. So yeah, this is why I asked this question usually. Um, great. Frankie, thank you very much for being uh, on, on this episode today. And you, where can we find more about you and, and Gemba? I will put um, all these links in the, in the episode description. Uh, the website. If, we got the, if you got the Gemba website, it'll give you all the information if anybody wants to contact me. Um, I sure I've got a LinkedIn or some means you can connect me any way you want through Gemba's probably is the easiest way. Um, I'm reasonably secretive. I just hide in the shadows behind the computers, but you can definitely get to me if you're interested. Yeah, sure. I will put the website of the company. That's definitely something I would do. And this is for my audience guys. Like keep the feedbacks coming. I am enjoying reading the feedbacks, both the positive and negative ones. I'm not, I'm not having a <laughs> lot of negative, but anyway, yeah, please keep them coming. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you are uh, getting engaged and, you know, now we have, uh, you know, the newsletter also as well. We have, you know, the show itself and, you know, a lot of things are coming also very, very soon. Maybe by the time this goes live, you know, there will be uh, something live out there. So, also, if you are interested, if you are watching or listening to this and you are interested of being a guest, same way, the way Frankie was, I guess, today, don't be shy. Reach out to me. Time zones, no problem at all. I'm lucky to be somewhere in the middle in Dubai, so I can afford people on the West Coast. I can afford people in New Zealand. So <laughs> it's all working fine. Thank you for tuning in, and we will meet again very soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hit that subscribe button, share the show with your tech-savvy friends and fellow entrepreneurs, and leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. Your support means the world to us.